0: Thanks for joining me, Pete Holterman, for the Credentials Only podcast where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Reciproc founder, Kristen Fulmer. Reciproc is a sustainability agency working to bring positive change to organizations. One of the ways Kristen is aiming to help those in sports is by redefining home field advantage.
1: I think that it's hugely untapped in the world of sport. Uh, You know, right now we think about all of the metrics of individual athletes you know the calories they consume the you know how much weight they list lift how fast they're running but we're not thinking about the environmental factors outside of their physical body
0: environmental considerations are a big piece of this effort and Kristen explains a lot of ways sports and the environment are intertwined from safe reopenings openings during a pandemic to carbon footprints to waste diversion.
1: I'm hoping that I can be the translator of what a lot of the subject matter experts in sustainability can do, um, and translating that to the front office that's making the decisions um, and helping align uh, the marketing team, the sales team, partnerships team, and stadium operations to understand kind of the role that they play in this kind of holistic sustainability strategy.
0: While Kristen understands there is a lot to be learned about these initiatives in many sports organizations, she feels progress is attainable.
1: The perception of sustainability is that it costs more to be sustainable than not. Really, at the end of the day, a lot of it is about education and just making very simple decisions at the right point in time.
0: Kristen is also quick to point out sustainability is about so much more than just the environment, from creating sustainable business models to speaking out on social justice issues.
1: The world of green sports often quotes Nelson Mandela, the beginning of the quote, sport has the power to change the world. And I think that this has been so evident this year.
0: There are some technical terms used in this episode, so make sure to check out the show notes on com for some supplemental information. While you're there, sign up for our email list and wherever you are listening, please take a moment to give us a rating and review. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Kristen Fulmer, the founder of Reciproc. Kristen, thanks so much for joining me on Credentials Only. Sustainability and the greening of sports. It's something that I think a lot of people are trying to understand. And it seems like it can get really complex, really complicated. At its core, what are those things really about?
1: Yeah, well, first off, thanks Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to, to talk about sustainability from the most basic level and maybe get into some of the, the more complicated stuff today. Uh, so to answer the question, I'd say that, you know, really defining sustainability uh, is, is really what's important um, and, and trying to figure out a definition for sustainability for whatever that organization is that's trying to be more sustainable or, or be greener. Um, and, you know, a lot of people ask me what the definition of sustainability is. And I like to be kind of as general and non-committal as possible because it could look like so many different things. And I think at its core, sustainability is really about positive change. And so we see positive change happening environmentally, uh, energy reductions, waste reduction, um, you know, even things like recycling, like what a lot of people think of as sustainability. But it could also be about racial justice or social equity uh, and that element of positive change and hopefully those two things together. Um, but you know, you also have to have a sustainable business model, which means financially sustainable as well and, and positive change there. So hopefully uh, sustainable change in sport is really about all three of those things and, and using the power of sport in a variety of ways to, to bring together that positive change.
0: It's interesting because you're coming at this without having really been in sport. So what is your background and, and how do you think that that gives you a unique perspective to now tackle this in sports.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't always worked in sports, that's definitely true, but I've always loved sports, both just generally, um, you know, have specific teams I follow and also am probably a pretty competitive person. So I realize the value of sport and kind of the role that it can play and really entertainment, but also just culture and society and actually creating positive change in general. Um, My background is in architecture buildings. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how buildings impact people, planet, um, profit as well. Uh, And realized that there's so much I had learned in terms of how buildings can impact those things in the commercial real estate field, for example, that hadn't really been put to use in the world of sports, so when I first started working in sports, um, actually, probably about a year and a half ago, technically, um, I was thinking about how we know that all these different building design features make workers in office space more productive. So why wouldn't that be true if we use those same design features uh, to enhance af- athlete, uh, you know, performance and? well-being, reduce the sick days that they have, just because we have, you know, we have metrics of office employees and their reduction of sick days, those are hugely valuable for sports teams. So I came to sport through thinking about buildings as well, but then realized that to put that to practice, you needed to have kind of a larger holistic sustainability strategy uh, and, and had helped real estate and building design companies create the sustainability strategy. You know, what do we care about? Energy, water, waste, um, or people and all of those things and how, um, and realize that there was a capacity to do that for sports organizations who were just getting started.
0: Okay. Help me out here. How in the world do you reduce six days?
1: It's, it's super interesting actually. And it takes, I mean, it's really, you know, almost a not a guess and check, it's more scientific than that, but you really need those data-driven results. Um, so in a commercial office space, let's say um, a class A office space in Manhattan, each individual user in a lot of spaces has the ability to adjust the color temperature of their lighting, uh, You know, their accessibility and angle towards uh, natural views or uh, natural light. Um, there's sensors to monitor their air quality, or that is there enough, or is there little enough CO2 in the air? Is there the right uh, fresh air uh, ratio? Um, you know, or do they have access to the right fresh food? Are they hydrating? Do they are they active enough during the day? All of these things can be addressed through building design and then measured over time. And so, if you have enough buildings that you have kind of the pre-occupancy or the pre-redesign, and then the post-redesign, you see the really data-driven results, and also people just saying, I feel better in this space, or I'm sleeping better at night when I go
0: home. And for the behind-the-scenes people in sports, that obviously applies directly. But I'm spinning this now to the athlete performance side. And do you can you use that to look at what should the ideal conditions be in a weight room, in a training room, in if it's an indoor arena for competition? Can all that be manipulated to enhance performance?
1: I think that it's hugely untapped in the world of sport. Uh, You know, right now we think about all of the metrics of individual athletes, you know, the calories they consume, the, you know, how much weight they lift, how fast they're running, but we're not thinking about the environmental factors outside of their physical body uh, as much as we are in the office space where that's the only control we have. We can't tell employees what to eat or how many calories to consume or how to sleep. Um, but in the athletic world, you know, we have the power and, and athletes really have the ambition to really hone in on each of those metrics. Um, so, you know, picture a traditional locker room for athletes. Some of the newer uh, practice facilities, for example, might have some natural light or windows. But for the most part, we're probably picturing cinder block walls, no access to natural light, very fluorescent lights, might not even have the ability to adjust the temperature that meets your own needs and comfort. Really doubt there's any uh, monitoring for like humidity levels, um, but we have all these optimal ranges and each individual has their own optimal range, just like they do for macro and micronutrients. Um, But when you measure it and athletes realize what makes them feel better and perform better then they can adjust that environment for the future. And that kind of goes into where I had originally created my organization reciproc um, with the, you know, the mission was redefining home field advantage. I was thinking, okay, this is how teams could have a home field advantage. If we did all of these things.
0: I have to ask you about the specifically about that temperature setting in a locker room, because that's, an experience you specifically had was seeing how that was controlled. Can you relay that story?
1: Sure. Uh, so uh, professional athletic team, I was in, a, I was a football team and NFL team. Um, I was, I was in their locker room uh, about a year ago, a little bit more um, and took a photo of it because I was so shocked having been new to sports. Um, you know, this is the space that these players are before playoff games before really important games that, cost a huge amount of money for organizations and a huge amount of money on the line, not to mention their health and well-being and lots of fans and pride. So many good things are, you know, at stake um, in these games and the spaces that these athletes are spending, you know, during the game, before and after, um, quite literally have signs on the wall that say, do not adjust the temperature, post-it note slapped onto the thermostat. And I had to take a picture of it because I couldn't believe that a space, um, that's for the people it serves, um, is, you know, to be honest, quite basic. And, and I don't mean to call out this one team because I would guess by seeing that, that that's actually quite common, um, that that's not a unique thing. And so I was like, wow, you know, in, in the last office space I worked in, I could adjust the color of the light to align to the circadian rhythm that I wanted, <laughs> much less having a post-it note that couldn't even change the temperature if I'm hot
0: or cold. And these are organizations that are spending and and researching everything from, you know, how they grow their grass on the field and and everything else that, is it that sports doesn't realize they can control these things or they, we just need to learn more about how that can be an advantage for us?
1: Yeah. I mean, I really think to be honest, you know, in the, in the world of commercial real estate, it took a few organizations to pilot it and, and show the data and really that return on investment, because at the end of the day, it does cost money to do some of these retrofits or design it upfront. Um, and it's, you know, feeling good <laughs> is a hard metric to capture. Um, and performing better is, is clearly, um, especially with all of the wearable sensors that athletes have will clearly be enough data. But then of course, then you have to point to the reasons why that, that data is changing. Um, so I think it's you know, important to start on that journey. And I think there are plenty of teams that are starting to think about this. I mean, really maybe pre COVID picture, uh, one of the trendier uh, cycling studios, spin studios or cycling studios all of them, or a lot of them, you turn out the lights, make it really dark, and then have like really bright lights to get people amped and motivated. It's kind of a similar strategy where your physical environment can actually help um, adjust how you feel. Um, And it probably can be captured in the performance of the spin studio, just like the athletic studio. Um, So I think really uh, teams just need to start it. And that's been one of my goals is to just simply pilot some of these technologies, you know, air quality sensors or adjusting the light and color temperature and having actually a few athletes go through the steps of helping to monitor it and, you know, saying I do feel better or I'm sleeping better. Look at the data on my wearables.
0: You mentioned Reciproc. How did you come to start that? And what is it that you are now looking to do with that organization?
1: Yeah, so I I guess I kind of talked about the reason that I created or The reason I thought it was a good idea was really this redefining home field advantage model of bringing commercial real estate to sports. Um, and for a long time, I'd been following the green sports movement, um, which has been largely driven in the US by um, the Green Sports Alliance, as well as a few other kind of networks and organizations that put out content. i would listened to webinars and things like that and started networking a little bit. um, Lots of LinkedIn messages, lots of Twitter follows, things like that. Uh, But I'd always been kind of passively following it um, and had used some professional development funding uh, when I worked at WeWork Which is the last um, organization that I've worked for outside of Reciproc, um, to go to the Green Sports Alliance conference last summer, which was a great experience to network a little bit more. Um, If the people listening are familiar with WeWork, they might not be all too surprised to hear that I don't work at WeWork anymore. Um, And that's, I was part of kind of the larger downsizing uh, last November. Uh, And really, it was that point where I said, okay, now is when I want to try out Reciproc full-time, which has been in the back of my head for a while. Um, And before COVID, that seemed like a really, really great idea. Um, And so, you know, we're we're all dealing with all of the difficulties of COVID in many different ways. The sports industry, definitely not excluded from that. Um, And so in the last few months, um, I've You know, actually, kind of use the narrative of healthy building design and some of the practices that the real estate industry has already put into play in dealing with COVID to apply then to sports organizations. And so, a lot of the conversations I have with sports organizations right now is about reopening with fan confidence. How do we communicate the strategies, you know, the air quality strategies and the cleaning strategies that we're doing to fans? Um, These are things that the world of green sports has talked about for a long time we talk about air quality or green cleaning products really often and now it's just that the front office is you know this language is a part of what they need to talk about
0: and is that who your ultimate client is is it front offices is it leagues is that the kind of hand-to-hand combat that you think you're going to be able to do on this movement
1: That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I can be the translator of what a lot of the subject matter experts in sustainability can do, um, and translating that to the front office that's making the decisions um, and helping align uh, the marketing team, the sales team, partnerships team, um, and stadium operations to understand kind of the role that they play in this kind of holistic sustainability strategy. Um, I think. In any organization it's really important the leadership is on board and feels good about those commitments and so you know it it makes sense to to start with the front office front office and leadership and say you know okay are you really interested in having a great story on waste maybe we can make a five-year waste reduction goal maybe a zero waste goal start there and then work our way backwards and figure out what does that actually look like for each of those elements of the team
0: And early on, there was an Instagram post from Reciproc where you clearly stated that you're an agency, not a consultancy. What is it about that distinction that you feel is very important to make?
1: Yeah, you did your research. I like it. (laughs) Um, So I think, one, in in the world of sustainability consultants, a lot of times, I think at least the perception in the world of real estate, uh, who are pretty much... uh, meant to uh, and a lot of times required to hire a sustainability consultant to address certain things. Um, In most of those cases, the sustainability consultant is there to just check off boxes and do kind of the minimum standard to meet some kind of certification goal, um, but not really thinking big picture. They're more um, in the seat to respond to requests where I think in an agency it's representing, an agent represents something And so, reciproc as as a positive change agency, as I've called it, uh, is really representing positive change, always advocating for it and always kind of scheming in some ways to find the best solutions um, and proactively advocating as opposed to just simply responding to requests.
0: COVID obviously is, as you mentioned, coming around at an interesting time, but it is certainly drawing more attention to that air quality conversation. Are you finding that it has opened a lot more people up to having these conversations with you?
1: I'd say the conversation part, yes. (laughs) Right now there's so much confusion. Um, COVID is still relatively new in terms of how to address it. We're still learning so many things about ways it is or is not transmitted. Um, And really a lot of organizations are Struggling with their current business model and are just trying to respond in a way that they can continue to make money and, and drive business and bring value to organizations. And so, um, in the world of sustainability, we have a term called greenwashing, which is basically just kind of overselling uh, you know, what, what you're doing in the world of sustainability to maybe overmarket a little bit, uh, really get um, a good reputation built. And I think COVID washing <laughs> is a huge risk as well. Um, you know, I'm sure we've all heard of these like really fancy technologies that do all of these really great things and sorting and wait, waiting through which ones make sense for the organization, which ones actually do something, um, and then which ones aren't just over the top. They do so much, but it's not actually even necessary. The amount of, um, you know, COVID response that they have for whatever the, the act is, um, And so I've had so many conversations in air quality as well as disinfecting or sanitizing um, with organizations where they're just trying to understand. But then to actually make a decision is still quite difficult. Um, And the reality in in sports uh, is that in some places, fans are already permitted and are already coming back despite some of those things being in place. And so I think a lot of organizations see that and say, "Okay, well, Maybe we can still sell out the stadium if we don't do these things. So um, if there's not gonna be specific requirements, why, why should we?
0: At some point, we will hopefully have COVID behind us. And in non-COVID times, as I think about sustainability and in particular, the green side of it for a fan, the waste reduction seems like the number one thing. And you've mentioned that a couple times. What is possible for sports in terms of waste reduction?
1: Oh, uh, well, if you ask a sustainability nerd like me, what's possible, then I'll always say something that's uh, def- possible, although <laughs> feasible is, is maybe a different or practical. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I see definitely a world um, probably in the next few years, hopefully in the next few years where a lot of sports organizations are committing to zero waste goals. Um, and this this might sound intimidating, but in the operations of, of a sports stadium, if you think about it, um, you know, pre-COVID of course, um, people aren't really bringing much into the stadium, right? They have maybe a bag, but they're not bringing any kind of thing that they would probably throw away into the stadium. Um, so everything that gets thrown away is, given to them in the stadium. And there is a lot of it. We have all seen those overflowing trash cans or stuff being left after. Um, and so the key is really to just not provide an opportunity to put something in a trash can um, from a sports stadium. And, and of course people say that, And okay, well, we still need them to spend money. So how does that happen? We still need them to buy stuff. Um, and really it's just about Starting the decision making in the contract negotiation, working with vendors to realize that there are different ways or different materials to provide to get the same thing to people for the same amount of money, if not maybe more. Um, so, you know, substituting out compostable ware for uh, plastics, for example, is a really simple one. Um, the next step of that is, of course, to make sure that that compostable ware actually gets composted, <laughs> which is a step that's Often missed. Um, and yes, it does rot away in the landfill. Maybe it's better than plastic. Um, but the key is to get it to a landfill where it or a, to a compostable place where it can actually um, go back into, you know, become circular, which is the goal of zero waste. Um, and then everything else could be recycled, uh at least in the near term. Um what would be really exciting is to be uh actually better than that. Um, and potentially intake waste. Um, so Wait,
0: sorry, better than zero waste intake waste. You're going to have to really explain <laughs> this one to me.
1: Well, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, now I'm daydreaming cause you said what's possible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so many stadiums, sports stadiums, for example, are are located in communities. And I think what we're seeing already is that sports stadiums are more than just a place to go watch a game, but can be integrated into the community. And so why couldn't a sports facility be a central drop-off point for uh, household compost? A lot of stadiums don't necessarily publicize it, but they have anaerobic digesters on site, which which basically break down organics. Um,
0: Okay, anaerobic... This is where you have to translate for people Sorry, I'm going too fast. (laughs) (laughs) I love it though.
1: So an anaerobic digester is basically what it comes down to is it's a giant vat that you put organic waste into. So this could be a banana peel. It could be a chicken bone, um, anything that can rot. Um, It could also be compostable. Some of them can accommodate some of that compostable packaging as well. Uh, It breaks it down and at the end of the day, you get dirt that can then, you can plant food in. Um,
0: And this is being used already in a lot of sports venues?
1: uh, Yeah, actually a lot of sports venues have it because from a practicality standpoint, food waste weighs a lot and a lot of them have to pay for the waste to be transported to the landfill. And so not necessarily the fans waste, but a lot of times uh, the waste of food production in the back of house in the kitchen will get separated and sent to this anaerobic digester on site, uh, really just to help them save money because it weighs so much. Um,
0: and okay, so, so a- an anaerobic digester, that's taking this heavy food waste. Like, is this just a room? Is this a, a, a machine? where does this fit in the, in the arena, in the stadium?
1: Yeah. So I was, where was I? Um, At Progressive Fields in Cleveland, um, they have an anaerobic digester that is intended to compost the back of house food waste. Um, And this is in, you know, the bones of the building down in the bottom. People don't see, they don't talk about it too much, Um, but you'd walk by it if you're actually me think. I'm trying to picture exactly where it is. I mean, it's, you know, really down where the equipment is stored. Um, mm-hmm. so the operations people know where it is and it, it looks like a giant, you can picture like a water tower, you know, just a giant that <laughs> is really what it looks like, um, inside the, the facility. Uh, and again, a lot of operations teams have put these things into play because they're practical from an operations perspective, they're efficient, they help save money. Um, but the front office hasn't, you know, the marketing team or sales team hasn't captured that and spun it in a way to feed into a larger sustainability strategy. Um, and so that's that kind of missing piece to really showcase what, what they're already doing.
0: Okay. So on the waste reduction side, if you're a fan, I go to the game, I might take the bottle and put it into the recycled container, but my napkin is ended up down there by the peanut shells at my feet that I forgot about when I'm getting up and leaving, you know, what can I do to be a little bit better on that waste reduction front inside a stadium?
1: What's interesting actually is that uh, a lot of stadiums or maybe not a lot, some have actually encouraged fans to leave everything where it is because they have trained people that can site separate it much better than the fans tend to do. (laughs) I think we've all been in a place where we see three different holes, we have something in our hand and we don't know which one it goes into. Um, And there's a lot of studies about how many seconds it will take someone um, without beer to figure out which one that goes into, much less if they've had a beer or two at the game. Um, And so some places they're actually encouraging fans to leave everything and they'll separate it the way it should be and that way you have a really good, what we call diversion rate, which is uh, the amount of waste diverted from a landfill. So usually that's recycling, hopefully in the future that will be compost as well. Um, And a diversion rate is the way that we capture how good someone is doing on waste. So actually a 95% diversion rate or better is considered zero waste because there's about 5% of uh, flexibility in there. But, you know, in a lot of stadiums, if you picture it, you could probably guess that that diversion rate is much lower. Um, And of course, in that recycling bin, there's also probably quite a lot of garbage. Um, So as a fan, I mean, my goal is that fans don't have to really do anything differently. Um, I think it's a lot of times the, the stadiums to create very clear signage and to have all the infrastructure in place to make it happen. And hopefully, like I said, in the future, there's no uh, chance to throw something into the garbage for landfill because you only have a recycling or a compost
0: option. <laughs> are there any venues that are close to that 95% diversion rate?
1: There are. Um, actually, I would say the College Sports has done a really great job of this. And that's beca- partly because they have sustainability clubs that um, have volunteers to help with the process. Um, and then specific events will also have a huge kind of push towards zero waste. Um, So I mentioned being at Progressive Field last year. um, I worked with Major League Baseball to help them on some of their sustainability goals. And that day we had a green team in place. It was a group of student volunteers who actually helped go around and physically collect recycling from fans. Um, And so on that day, the diversion rate might've been higher than normal because we have that kind of active engagement. Um, but I think college sports has, has done really well in that. Um, And, and some stadiums have goals in place, um, you know, pro stadiums as well um, with specific features that have rolled out. Um, The Dolphins have announced a partnership uh, for aluminum cans, for example. Um, There's lots of kind of partnerships going into place. um, But to get to that zero waste, you need to leverage reusables of sorts, um, or it's, it's a really great strategy. And unfortunately COVID has made people a little bit leery of things being reused.
0: It is kind of a mind shift though, of there's one vat of ketchup rather than everybody getting the individual packets of ketchup, the aluminum cans. What are some of those other practical things that COVID notwithstanding teams and, and stadiums could look at as ways to help?
1: Yeah, I mean, before COVID, I think there was a push to have uh, actually reusable water bottle filling stations, and it's okay to bring your own water bottle in. Um, of course, that's a loss in revenue then, um, because, you know, water bottles cost $8. <laughs> so um, there's there's always a give and take, and you have to kind of make that decision and find the balance. Um, but, you know, that's an interesting strategy. Um I mean, on the ground, there's always the waste reduction strategies, like negotiating with new contracts with vendors um, to make it easier uh, to reduce the waste. So small things like a hot dog vendor might have a specific preference to have their little flag on the toothpick sticking out of that hot dog. And you know it's one toothpick and one little paper flag, but that really adds up over time. Um, So just negotiating those contracts to say, how can we help with your branding without throwing these little things away all the time. Um, You know, just kind of small substitutions there. Um, Another big one, um, I mentioned signage, um, just having really clear signage. So you have a picture of what people, someone might have in their hand and you know which hole it goes into in the bins. Um, So that's a good one. Um, One of my favorites is just having the athletes be, you know, the players on the teams be advocates for it and kind of walking the talk. Um, So instead of having a Dasani bottle, maybe the player is actually using a reusable water bottle. Um, For example, water bottle is an easy one to pick on, um, but it could be so many other things as well.
0: I think another one that is a little bit more obvious to lay people when it comes to sustainability is energy efficiency. There's a lot of light being thrown to, to make these things happen the refrigeration for all the concessions, everything. How can venues be addressing that piece of sustainability?
1: Yeah, well, I think actually this is one of those because it has such a practical benefit of saving money. Um, one that stadiums have done quite well in. Um, most stadiums, I would say at this point, have done LED retrofits, at least at a professional level, um, you know, for, for the lighting Um, have put strategies in place kind of behind the scenes to shut things down when it's not being used um, or use more efficient systems, let's say to reduce refrigerant use. Um, But, you know, there's still probably an element of needing to dedicate resources to understanding how much energy is actually being used to understand how to reduce it. And so usually there's not someone um, with sustainability in their title who works on the operations team to spend time to look at the invoices and see where, where it's coming from. Um, so installing meters on site can be really helpful because you can actually just see on a screen or on an app on your phone where energy is being pulled from. Um, and then you say, okay, it looks like the most expensive thing that we power is X let's do something about it. And you can just kind of bite size one by one, see big users and try to reduce it just like you would at home. Um, You know, that you have this old lamp, it's an antique lamp and you have a new one and like, okay, maybe we need to get rid of grandma's lamp and and have it for show, but um, you know, maybe use the new one that we know takes less electricity because we're paying for it at the end of the day
0: you know and you see that the teams with those led lights it's not just that energy efficiency but they're now enhancing their environment and, and presentation of the game you know you score a touchdown you bring the lights down then you bring them up and there's no cool down warm up period and that just enhances everything where that's probably an easier sell because you know that you can do some new things and and there's some bells and whistles to it on top of the energy efficiency not always probably going to be that easy and you mentioned you know the give and take and what are some of the barriers to accomplishing this in sports between the feasible and the possible?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question because I run into this question all the time. It's really, you know the the main challenge um, is addressing it, you know these barriers in a way that makes sense for organizations, and different organizations have different barriers. I think the perception of sustainability is that it costs more to be sustainable than not. Um, And I think really at the end of the day, a lot of it is about education and just making very simple um, decisions at the right point in time. Um, So I did, we just talked about like the toothpick with the flag and the hot dog example. This just took someone being in the room at the right moment to say, hey, let's talk about this. It doesn't cost anyone any money. It actually costs both organizations less money (laughs) to make that switch. Um, they don't have to produce the toothpicks. No one has to throw them away the whole thing. Um, and so I think in a lot of cases, maybe that upfront investment is actually just an investment in the resources to be, to advocate for this, to be in the room when these decisions are being made and to make them strategically so that it doesn't cost too much. Um, I think usually uh, sustainability costs more money when you're trying to put a band-aid on an existing situation instead of just proactively making sure the situation never happens in the first place. Um, so I think education and having that advocate or the resource to to speak on behalf of sustainability um, decisions is really helpful. Um, and then there are some Uh, technologies. We talked about some earlier, you know, air quality sensors or fancy lighting upgrades or um, different kind of maybe wellness strategies that might cost a little bit upfront, but so did the LED lights, but they have other experiential benefits um, that come with it, like you said. And so we just need to kind of capture, um, and I say we as the sustainability world (laughs) needs to capture and clearly communicate what those benefits to some of these features that do cost more upfront, really are.
0: Are you finding that because of your background with commercial real estate and really coming at this from a totally different industry where you had success, that's getting the attention of the decision makers in sports because you can show, hey, this worked over here. We can make it work in your particular business too.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I guess what my background has helped me do is – you know, I'm just very used to fighting the fight and trying to convince the decision makers that some of these uh, strategies are practical in the long run um, and kind of communicating and translating what those are in so many different ways based on whoever it is uh, concerned. So in that sense, uh, I think the background helps, um, but I think also in real estate, you um, we all know, even if we don't work in real estate, that it's so based on numbers, you know, metrics per square foot. Uh, if it's a building occupier, then it's, you know, commercial building, it's metrics per employee and you have these rates. Um, and so being able to quantify those same rates for sports, uh, is really helpful. Um, even if that is, you know, quote, softer metrics, um, like how athletes, feel, or perform, um, they still have a return.
0: The greening of sports, we've talked about energy efficiency, we've talked about waste reduction. Are, are there any other facets of the green part of it that are worth calling attention to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think of the the big three, we talk about waste, water, and energy. Um, so water, especially in specific markets, is also really important. Um, this one may be a little bit, has a little bit more of a regional factor, um, depending on how they can collect rainwater on site or you know, whether they are in a drought prone area, for example. Um, but you know, a 60, 100,000 person stadium, that's a lot of toilets that flush and a lot of water. Um, so just making, again, upfront decisions with your retrofitting all of your toilets to do one that are less water consuming, very practical, easy decision also has a quick return Um, but I think from the environmental, environmental perspective, um, this year has taught us to maybe think bigger and more broadly. And so we've seen how sport is impacted by health, um, which is impacted by air quality. Um, but also how sport is impacted by climate. I mean, if we had a normal sports season, the wildfires in California that were already hugely impactful would have been so much more, um, really tragic to to so many sports teams that would have had so many more canceled games and they already had so many challenges. Um, And so we're seeing how climate on kind of a bigger scale is impacting sport. Um, And so not that one sports team can, you know, make changes to the weather pattern, but making these small adjustments um, or decisions on, let's say carbon emissions, which we know has a direct impact on climate change um, can be really important. So we can't ask sports teams not to travel, um, unless I guess you're in the NBA. Um, we can't <laughs> ask sports teams typically not to travel. Um, but they can make more strategic decisions to reduce their carbon footprint or make commitments to offset it, uh, in ways that, that can also be beneficial. Um, and I also just quickly have to mention, I the world um, of climate justice which is basically the intersection of racial justice and climate change um, because so many athletes and so many fans of sports teams are affected um, by climate injustice um, being in areas that are uh, negatively impacted by climate change uh, because of who they are in the community that they come from um, and so have sports organizations having an ability to impact that whether it's give back programs or just even bringing education to this uh, is gonna be really important for the future.
0: You mentioned a few things there that I wanna be able to follow up on. First of all, capturing rainwater. Are there places that are capturing rainwater and turning it around and using it?
1: Yes, Uh, generally the answer is yes um, in lots of different types of buildings. Office buildings, homes, um, and stadiums as well. I'm trying to think of some specific examples. Um, the ones that are coming to the top of my mind right now actually reuse the rainwater for on site gardens, which might be used in their kitchens. Um, so they collect the rainwater and use it, non potable water um, for use. Uh, some stadiums also use the non potable rainwater collection for um, toilet flushing. Um, you know, uses where humans wouldn't be consuming it. Um, and then, you know, the next step is treating the water so that you can, um, actually reuse it.
0: Carbon reduction, offsetting your carbon footprint, again, need your translation skills. What does that mean in practicality?
1: Basically, if you are burning any type of fuel, you are emitting carbon. Um, so this is, you know, any type car plane think about transportation that's mostly what i meant um although lots of other reasons um offsetting carbon could be as simple as uh, maybe a lot of people think of planting trees um or you know something on site to reduce carbon um in this world where this you know scale is huge um a carbon offset program um to meet the scale of a sports team probably looks like Um, providing funding to an organization that can do that on a much larger scale, whether that's paying for sustainable forestry or tree planting, um, really kind of big scale uh, carbon sinks, which are basically places to soak up that carbon.
0: You then mentioned the justice and social justice really came to the fore with sport this year. And I was interested to see how much that seems to be part of what you talk about under the broad umbrella of sustainability What's your reaction to what we've seen this year with the way sport really has put a flag in the ground on a lot of these social justice issues?
1: The world of green sports often quotes Nelson Mandela. um, The beginning of the quote, sport has the power to change the world. And I think that this has been so evident this year, um, even before the murder of George Floyd, uh, we saw athletes and big sports teams responding immediately to the COVID crisis in March. Um, and since then have just done really amazing things, including um, incentivizing voting and we know everything um, we've seen it and it, it's amazing. And we have all seen it because of, you know, how powerful that platform of sport is. Um, and then in the world of uh, climate justice, I mean, I, Understand um, and have you know seen all of the racial injustice that has been evident of this year, and know the history of it um, in the past. And you know, climate justice is basically the way to connect it to the world of sustainability. And I think the sustainability industry has seen that we actually can't make any difference on climate change if we don't in- address the uh, injustices associated with the specific communities that are impacted by decisions. Um, And so it's a part of all of the conversations that I have now, Um, not necessarily driven by potential clients or organizations I'm talking to, um, but it's always raised in some form because I think it's it's so top of mind for everyone, which is a really positive change that, again, only happened because of sports or happened in large gratitude to, to sports advocates.
0: This is going to flirt with that possible versus feasible line again, but what would you throw out there as goals that you'd like to see sports, just broadly sports, make steps you'd like to see them make in the next, say, five or 10 years on the sustainability front?
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Um, I have to (laughs) not daydream too much. I want to keep it practical because I think, you know, these things have to be practical. I mean, I think having it would just be really great if all professional sports teams and college and and other sports teams as well, um, had really explicit goals to reduce their carbon footprint, reduce, um, their waste produced, have very explicit goals and actions in mind to make that happen. Um,
0: how, how many currently would you say have that?
1: Um, Great question. I would say a lot of them might, ha- many of them have a statement, right? A lot of them probably have a sustainability statement. Maybe they have a tab on their website that has the word sustainability on it. Um, a lot of that is um, under the purview of the community development team uh, or the stadium operations team. So, so a lot of them, I'd say a huge percent has have, have at least you know the LED lighting. Um, in some of those specific upgrades. Um, in terms of a holistic sustainability strategy, I would say that percentage is much, much, much lower. Say less than a quarter, maybe have a holistic sustainability strategy where all of these pieces are connected. Um, and so, yeah, my wish for the next few years is really just that kind of, hopefully, a minimum standard. And I would actually love to see leagues um, providing guidance and stronger language to hold teams um, somewhat accountable for that. Um, We know that that's really important, you know, that local and states also have regulations in place to hold stadiums and teams accountable for that as well, Um, because some places do that more than others.
0: And ultimately, if not the league, it's the ownership team and and management that will have to drive the bus on this. But what are things that Employees, and you've mentioned all the different departments within an organization from sales or operations, marketing. What are things individual employees could do to probably move that conversation along within their organization, even if it's not that top level priority yet with management?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, taking a bite-sized piece. Um, This is a really intimidating topic because positive change, like no one's going to argue, we need positive change. We need good things to happen. Um, I recommend if you're just getting started on this, um, even as an individual, to look at uh, the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, And they're color-coded, they're numbered, they have little icons. They're everything from health and well-being to good education to air quality to life underwater, Um, basically, I find them as a really great strategy for someone to say, hey, I really care about that one. Um, And I heard a a colleague of mine say, like, pick your color, basically, like pick one that aligns to you and be a good advocate for it. Um, So maybe someone feels really strongly about um, good health and well-being within the organization. It doesn't even have to relate if they're in marketing, doesn't even have to necessarily relate to their job, but it could and say, okay, how do we market the Health and well being strategies we're already doing, how do we talk about that? How do we connect with fans on that topic? Or how do I make my space, even in the office or in the stadium um, or in back of house, better in health and well being and really be that kind of advocate for whatever that sustainable development goal is? Um, and then you can kind of from there piece together a few more that people in the organization care about, and all of a sudden you have a sustainability strategy.
0: And I will link to those 17 goals uh, on the show notes. So make sure to go to credentialsonly.com and you'll be able to link to that. And as always, a lot more information of what we've been talking about. What about athletes? Obviously they have a massive platform. How important do you think it is for athletes to further embrace? And we did talk a little bit about the social justice piece of it, but more broadly, the sustainability movement. Can athletes be a big difference maker?
1: I think athletes are play a huge role in this, um, and we know the power of social media. And you know, basically, if an athlete says something, a huge amount of the population knows about it extremely quickly, thanks to social media. Um, and so many athletes are really powerful advocates um, for issues that they care about. I think it's important that um the athlete not necessarily just you know be a talking head on an issue because they're paid to be, but because they're truly passionate about it. And I think it's great that again, athletes have picked kind of their own sustainable development goal that they're passionate about um, in some ways and have been outspoken on it. Um, historically we've seen less really, really vocal um athletes on climate change specifically. Um, but I'm working with an organization right now called Eco Athletes, which actually the mission is basically to inspire and um, inspire athletes to take climate action. Um, and so that looks like a lot of different things, depending on that athlete. Um, one of the eco-athlete champions who's also on the advisory board's name is Brent Suter. He's uh, a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers and does everything from kind of more political advocacy to thought leadership pieces in journals, to working with his teammates to make sure that they're all using reusable water bottles in the dugout. Um, and so EcoAthletes is just one example um, of, you know, tapping into that um, power that and voice that athletes have to, you know, be change makers. Um, and hopefully, and there are actually other organizations similar uh, to eco athletes helping um, to bring that message to light
0: with this lens you have on sustainability in sports does it change the way you view games whether you're in stadium or on tv are you kind of seeing what's working what isn't working every time you go into a venue
1: (laughs) i wish i could say no because i am (laughs) a purist of sport um there is probably an element of judgment um i do also just love sports so you know, can kind of get into it. And it doesn't, I don't let it ruin my experience, but I definitely do notice and, and take note. Um, but that's not just true of sports is probably true of everything. Um, you know, I could be watching a politician on TV and be like, why are they holding that water bottle? They could be, you know, <laughs> just like very small moments where that messaging is really important. Um,
0: uh. And you have taken this career that you had and moved it into sports. And you said you're a sports fan. What is your other than being a competitor yourself, what is your history with sports?
1: Yeah, well, I grew up in Durham, North Carolina, um, which might say enough about <laughs> uh, college basketball. Um, I grew up a huge Duke basketball fan um, and just kind of learned very quickly that, you know, to make friends, you need to pick a team. Um, and that's <laughs> kind of that uh, the shared common language um, between people. And so since then I, I went to Virginia Tech, so have been kind of a Virginia Tech football fan and a Duke basketball fan. Don't ask. Um, I will not change that. Um, and have kind of actually since in the NFL and the NBA followed athletes from those two schools. Um, so less dedicated pro sports fan, although now I'm, you know, pretty excited by some of the work like the Seattle Kraken, Um, all of a sudden I might have an NHL team because they do really awesome sustainability things. Um, And and maybe that actually is a way to attract fans in the future.
0: I close all of my episodes with a segment called the set pieces. It's a half dozen questions for all my guests. First, what are podcasts or newsletters you use to stay informed and keep learning?
1: Oh, this is a good question. Um, So one of my Favorite podcast that I listen to um, is called Women in Sustainability, Design the Future. Uh, it's helpful if you are not in sustainability and also not a woman. It's just a really great podcast. Um, and the co- one of the co-hosts is my former manager from WeWork, uh, Lindsay Baker. Um, really inspiring. I will a lot of times pause it and write down ideas or things um, that I've learned. It's a really good one.
0: Any newsletters?
1: Newsletters, yeah. So, actually, one of um, my colleagues in the green sports world uh, ha- puts out what she calls a green sports ROI, but it's actually a collection of different green sports stories that have come out that day. So, it's almost a cheat because <laughs> it's a newsletter of many newsletters, um, but it's a great summary. Um, and her organization is called 5 sports.com. She works a lot in partnerships, but um, she has a great collection of just stories from the sustainable sports world.
0: On social media, who are your most valuable follows? The posts you wanna make sure you catch?
1: Another good question. I think this, um, this, this often changes actually. Um, right now it's been interesting to follow uh, actually the kind of green sports uh, academia world. Um, there's lots of really interesting academics and professors, um, a lot of them out of uh sport ecology group which um, I highly recommend people check out. uh, If you're interested in podcasts, they also have a podcast, Um, but they just offer really helpful commentary and also provide research. Again, we need those numbers to back up what we do and and it's really helpful kind of data-driven research. So so that's a good one. Um, And then generally, I think um, in the world of sustainability, greenbiz.com or greenbiz, helpful social media, also helpful newsletter, um, just a really great resource to understand the business of sustainability.
0: What are a couple of books you'd recommend that people read?
1: Yeah, man, I'm really sticking to the sustainability theme, I think. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites recently, um, it was just in a, a book club actually on it, um, which has been really inspiring is called All We Can Save. Uh, by Ayanna Johnson and uh, Catherine Wilkinson. Uh, It's basically a collection of different types of writing, whether it's a poem or an essay, uh, even some fiction, Um, but all by women who are saying that, yes, the climate uh, crisis is dire, but um, we can't afford to not take action. And so all we can save is about finding ways to take action still. And it's quite inspiring. It's a good one. Um, another one, just quickly, is called uh, Drawdown by Paul Hawken. Um, I usually recommend this one um, for people who are interested in learning about sustainability, um, just generally, and, and really impactful actions. Um, a lot of people, for example, think that you know, if I don't fly in a plane, then I'm you know, that's the biggest thing I can do to be sustainable. And Drawdown actually kind of lists what really the, the biggest carbon emitters are. And it's, it's surprising, um, but provides some really good solutions.
0: What would you consider your cheat code or life hack? Something that gives you a little bit of an edge. <laughs>
1: um, because I am so type A, I will answer keeping a schedule uh, or some kind of um, planner is my life hack. Um, it's the way I remember to Sorry. I don't know, send a holiday card or block out time to do laundry to make sure that I do it or <laughs> exercise. Um, and then also just stay on top of all of the, the different things I'm working on. Um, and yes, sometimes I even do block out time for like personal things, like, oh, let's just take a moment to spend time with my husband, for example. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's your favorite sports memory as a kid?
1: Oh, well, I already mentioned I'm a Duke fan. So. Um, mm. I think the 2001 national championship is probably my favorite of them, although there are, of course, quite a few to choose from (laughs) of (laughs) national championships from Duke. I have to say it. Uh, (laughs) But um, I think the 2001 national championship was one of my favorite. I was uh, younger and that really kind of solidified my Duke basketball fandom. Um, of sorts so definitely a good one Um, also got to go to a lot of women's basketball games at Cameron Um, and so um, getting to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium regularly um, for women's and men's basketball games was just always a lot of fun and now I realize how uh, rare of an opportunity that was
0: Yes, that is on my bucket list. That is one to definitely try to get to. Uh, lastly, do you keep your credentials? And if so, where is that collection?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, you know, you've mentioned I'm relatively new to the sports, um, industry working, um, definitely keep all of my ticket stubs before that. So those are my fan credentials. Uh, um, I try to, I, well, right now I'm moving. So they're in a box and they're usually in a box. Um, but I usually have a few hanging up as kind of inspiration, uh, to remind me like, kind of how awesome it is to, to be paid to work in sports. (laughs) Um, I also usually try to buy a pin or some kind of small souvenir to keep for some of the bigger um, events that I I get to go to.
0: I appreciate the time and talking about this, as we said at the outset, very complex issue. If there are people who want to learn more, whether it's about the issues or about reciproc and you and what you're doing, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, always reach out, ask questions. Um, like I said, it's you know really just about asking questions and it's okay if this is all new. Um, following Reciproc, which is at Reciproc, um, hopefully spelled out in, in the notes as well, um, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, or uh, following me, Kristen Fulmer, um, feel free to message or reach out. There's ways to connect on all of those.
0: Kristen, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun.
0: I really appreciate Kristen taking the time to discuss sustainability in sports in this episode. It felt like I came away with a great education, but barely scratched the surface on what can be learned on this topic. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do us a favor, leave a rating or review wherever you are listening. Head over to credentialsonly.com for show notes and drop us your email so we can slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. Mike Miche edits credentials only, which is a Holter Media production.